Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, well, I asked uh, Ben to have us read the Lord's Prayer because earlier in our series we had talked about Paul's exhortation for us to set our hearts and our minds on things above. And we talked about one of the ways to do that is to pray the Lord's Prayer and ask the Lord to work through it. But before we do that, I do have a short announcement um, at our annual meeting in, in January, uh, we announced that I'll be going on sabbatical in May, and we also sent out the link to the congregation with that announcement after the meeting. But last week I was talking to somebody, and they said, sabbatical, what are you talking about? So I thought, well, I'd better briefly remind our congregation of that in the church service. So in 2018, we established a sabbatical policy, uh, both for the benefit of our church and our pastors. Um, and Pastor John was able to use that in 2018. We, used, we put that together with input from other local Baptist churches and parachurch ministries, and a team put that sabbatical policy in place. And uh, this is now my sixth year at North Park. And for a variety of reasons and through consultation with the elders, we felt that 2023 was the right time for me to take a sabbatical. So I've accrued uh, six weeks of sabbatical. And I'm going to combine that with three weeks of vacation, so I will be gone from May 10th to July 12th. Uh, During the sabbatical, I'll have extended time of solitude and extended time to read and pray and uh, be with the Lord, including a a few days alone just by myself to be with the Lord. Also, Sandy and I will go to a pastoral retreat center where we'll have a spiritual retreat for a week with uh, guided time through scriptures and in prayer. Um, We're also going to have time in June and July to have uh, vacation time. Uh, that we'll use during that, that back end of it. And then those other weeks will be spent resting, reading, studying, and planning. And so I, just, I believe this sabbatical will go a long way to recharge me and help me minister more effectively here at North Park moving forward. And uh, first I just want to say I'm, th- I'm so thankful for our church body. You guys have loved us so well as pastors and taken such good care of us. And I know not every church offers this, so it's a tremendous blessing to have that time to really spend time alone with the Lord and to really stop the busyness of life and uh, to rest. So uh, during my time away, uh, Pastor John and the elder team will be taking care of uh, any needs that that may arise. And uh, during my time away, Pastor John will be preaching about half the sermons, and the other half will be filled in with, with Andy and Justin and uh, Larry, and uh, even Ken Floyd will be coming one Sunday. Uh, so there'll be excellent preaching while I'm gone, and you guys might be bummed out when I come back. But uh, if you have any questions, feel free to talk to me or uh, talk to one of our elders. They can answer any questions you have. And I'm hoping to provide a prayer guide before I go so that during those nine weeks that you can be praying for us and praying that God really uses it well in, in our lives and that uh, we'll come back uh, rejuvenated. Uh, So uh, I just want to say thank you for loving me well. It's a joy to serve together as we seek to make disciples, be disciples, who make disciples for the glory of God. And one other quick announcement. Um, On Tuesday, I'll be flying out to speak at a chapel at the Montana Wilderness School of the Bible, where two of our members attend. So I'm really excited. I I got secret code to find out what their favorite snacks are. So I'm going to bring those on the plane and surprise them. If they were watching, I would just ruin the surprise. Uh, But uh, I appreciate your prayers. Uh, it's uh, both days, Tuesday and Thursday, are going to be really long days of travel with a lot of layovers. And then I'll be getting in really late Tuesday night and speaking really early on Wednesday morning in the chapel. So uh, prayers that God would use that in the lives of those kids at that school, but also that will be encouragement to our two students that attend there. So let's pray and uh, we'll begin the sermon. 
Dear God, I am so tremendously blessed to be a pastor of a church that loves their pastors well. And, and the sabbatical is just a reminder of how much they care for me. And, and Lord, uh, I'm so thankful that when the Bible talks about family, it's the truth. And it's such a blessing to be part of a church family that, that loves each other. And uh, thank you for bringing me to North Park and giving me this wonderful blessing of being part of this family, Lord. And Lord, as a family, we've been studying Colossians together and we've been getting consistent reminders each and every week of your sovereignty and our need to surrender our lives and our will to you. And so I just pray that as we open your word today, there will be another challenge, another encouragement for us to recognize your sovereignty in our lives and to live under it. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, as I mentioned, this is the last week in our Colossians series where we've been talking about how Jesus is greater than anything else. He's greater than all the other pagan gods they worshipped in uh, the Greek, uh, Greco-Roman world. He, he offers a greater relationship than all the other religious rituals could offer. The relationship with Jesus is greater than anything else that is available. And so today in our last week of Colossians, I wanted to provide a little bit of a review of uh, our series to kind of help you remember hopefully some of what we've studied. And so Paul opens his letter with greetings and thanksgivings. He writes, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. If Paul was to give an outline for the book, this is this is kind of it. Oh, go back one. Sorry. Uh, He's saying that He's praying for them that God would fill them with the knowledge and wisdom and understanding. That first uh, two chapters of Colossians really are all about who Jesus is. And he's trying to fill them with those things so that, and he says, you have to do something. You have to live a worthy life. So now on the next slide, uh, we have this uh, outline that, that Paul's walking through. First, he gives greetings and prayers. Then he gives this theology of Christ in chapter 1 and 2, who Christ is, what did he do, who are we in Christ? And then in chapter 3, he transitions from the theological to practical. In verse 1, he says, since then, with all that theological framework, since Christ is supreme, since he's sovereign over all things, since he died and rose again and gave you new life, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And we talked about how that's such a, uh, a concept that can be so hard to understand. But over the next two chapters, Paul really fleshes out what does it look like to set your hearts and your minds on Christ. So if we go back to that outline, now we have this new life in Christ in chapters 3 and 4. We recognize if God is sovereign over all things, then he needs to be sovereign over every aspect of our life. A few weeks ago, we looked at how he needs to be sovereign over our sexuality. And then two weeks ago, we looked at how he needs to be sovereign over our relationships with each other here in the church. And last week, we looked at how he needs to be sovereign over our home. And this week, we're going to look at how he needs to be sovereign over relationships with those that don't know Jesus. But practically, how do you allow God to be sovereign over every area of your life? In the same way that it's really hard to to wrap your mind around setting your hearts and your minds on things above. It's, it's sometimes hard to, to take that theological concept of God's sovereignty and then put it over your life. I've often said the 
The three greatest threats to marriage are selfishness, selfishness, and selfishness. But it's not just marriage, really, it's every area of our life, in our friendships, in our interactions with our kids, in our interactions with our co-workers, we're naturally selfish. And we always have to fight selfishness. But giving God sovereignty over our lives is a part of just releasing that selfishness and our selfish pursuits and our selfish desires and surrendering them to our Savior. In Luke, Jesus put it this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I love that Jesus includes that word daily. It's this idea that this isn't a one-time thing. It's not a time that you go, okay, God, I surrender my life to you, and then you're finished. Jesus says this is a daily pursuit. So if you were to write a book on God's sovereignty... And you were going to write everything you want on it, and then you're going to close. How would you close? What would you end with? Well, Paul wrapped it up this way. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul, writing his letter from prison, concludes with these two commands. First, be devoted to prayer. Second, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And we're going to start with the first one, prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Paul believed that prayer was absolutely necessary for every aspect of our life and ministry. The New King James translates this, continue earnestly in prayer. The ESV, continue steadfastly in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul encourages Christians to pray continually, to pray without ceasing. That's the idea he's getting at here. Persistence. A daily pursuit. We see this in Acts. First, we see when the church started, they they all joined together constantly in prayer. In Acts 2, we see they devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts 6, when they bring together uh, these potentially the first deacons that ever existed, it was so the elders could give their attention to prayer. In Romans 12, Paul encourages all people to be joyful in hope, patient in fiction, and faithful in prayer. So as Christians, we're to be devoted, persisting in prayer. Devotion is an interesting word. It's an act of the will. It's a discipline. It's an effort. Um, Tom Brady just retired from from football, and he is someone that when he came into the NFL, he wasn't drafted the seventh round because he ran a 40 slower than I probably would run it. He was slow. Uh, he didn't have the arm strength that was all that great, and, he, and so he wasn't drafted very high. But he ended up being probably the best quarterback of all time and played until he was 45 years old. I think the reason for that is his devotion. He was fully devoted in, in every area of his life to being the best quarterback in football. In fact, he's famous for his rigid diet, which is named after him. It's called the TB12 diet. It's a high-protein, plant-based diet that excludes, listen to this, these are things you can't eat, 
gluten, dairy, corn, soy, MSG, coffee, alcohol, GMOs, sugars, trans fats, overly processed food, and even some fruits and vegetables and certain oils. That sounds like a fun diet, doesn't it? And sign me up, right? But the point is, he, he took such great care of his body that he was able to play until he was 45 years old. Now, I'm not encouraging you to join the TB12 method, but it's this idea that there's this demeanor, there's this posture, there's this dedication, there's this devotion to prayer. And, and even sometimes we, we recognize that that devotion to prayer can, can even be running in the background of our lives, in the midst of the mundane, as we have breakfast or lunch or dinner, as we have car rides, as we walk to our destinations, as we are at work and as we respond to emails, as we interact with our kids and our spouse, through, throughout all those daily mundane things, in the background can be a heart of praise, a heart of thankfulness, and a heart of prayer, asking God to work through those things. It's not an easy thing to do. And in fact, every time we do a sermon on prayer, I'm sure many of you go, oh, I, I, I know I need to do that more, you know. I never ran into someone to say, Phil, I have been spending too much time in prayer. I've never had anybody say that because the more you pray, the more you want to pray. But it's, it can be hard. And so what steps do you need to take to, be, to have that life of prayer? Well, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. In our lives, we, we naturally drift toward apathy or temptation. So Paul says, be alert. If you remember at the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when Christ was racked with, with just grief over what was going to happen, he asked the disciples to, to go and watch. And he said, stay here and keep watch. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. So being watchful is a way to avoid temptation. And Paul concludes his epistle to the Ephesians with this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. He said we need to, be, we need to stay alert. Be, be aware of what's going on. Look for opportunities that we can be praying. Pray for God to open the doors of opportunities. Uh, one of my friends... Uh, has a special needs child, and uh, because of that, she, she would have to have these long drives to this uh, hospital that was far away, and she dreaded those long drives. And so she said, I need to change my attitude. And so what she did is every time before she took that long drive, she would ask all her friends on Facebook, hey, what prayer requests do you have? And she would write them down on sticky notes. And so then she would take those sticky notes and she'd put them on her dashboard and that every time she had to drive her son to that thing, she, as she was driving in a safe way, she would look at those sticky notes and be praying for those things. She said it revolutionized how she looked at that drive, and it became a drive that she really looked forward to. Because she said, here's something that is mundane, here's something that I don't enjoy, I'm going to transform it by the power of prayer, and I'm going to be devoted to prayer. So he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. See, thankfulness sets the atmosphere for prayer. Paul talks about thankfulness, being thankful to God, 32 times in his letters. And many of those were written while he was in prison. And then he writes, be thankful. Now you might say, Phil, you don't understand. It's hard to be thankful right now. My marriage is a mess. I'm struggling in school. My kids are rebelling. 
work has been really hard. We're, we're looking at all the bills and we just don't know how we're going to make it at the end of the month. And it can be hard to be thankful in the midst of those things. You may feel like there's nothing to be thankful for. But early in Colossians, Paul wrote this, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What Paul is saying here is that, yes, everything in your life might be a wreck, but in the midst of that, you have something you can be thankful for. You can set your mind on things above because thankfulness can be found in Jesus. I mean, look at some of these words here. We have this share in the inheritance. We've been adopted into God's family, and we have this promise for the future of blessing forevermore. We, we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. We were, we were separated from God, and yet God rescued us. We've been brought into the kingdom of the Son, he, the Son He loves. And in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So when we've, when we've made mistakes, when, when we've rebelled against God, when we've turned our own way, when we've been selfish, Jesus offers forgiveness. And so sometimes we get to those hard moments of life, and it's because of things we've done. And we need to repent and experience the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And sometimes it's just the result of living in a broken world and the result of other people's sins. But in the midst of those times, we can be thankful because we can set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated on the throne. Next week, I'm really excited. We're starting a series on Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. So it's one of the fun things about being the pastor is you get to pick what you preach. So I'm really excited about that. But one of my favorite verses in that, and you've probably heard me say it a lot of times because I love it, but is that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Setting our hearts and minds on things above has an eternal perspective. Our present sufferings may be really substantial. They may be really difficult. But compared to glory, they're nothing. Set our hearts on things above. Back to Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. What was his prayer? That God would open a door. What would my prayer be? That God would open the door of the prison and get me out of there. Notice Paul doesn't ask for prayer to be removed from his difficult situation. He doesn't pray that they'd ask for him to get out of jail. He prays that God would open doors. Now there's nothing wrong with asking God to remove an obstacle or asking God to remove a hardship or a struggle. But the big question is this. Do you trust God if he doesn't remove your hardship? Do you trust God if he doesn't remove your difficulty? Do you trust God if things aren't going your way? See, Paul didn't ask for prayers to get out of jail because he knew his greatest purpose, more than anything else, was to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even while he was in chains. Let's read it again. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am chained. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
See, Paul was in prison because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel, the very thing that caused him to be thrown in jail. And in Philippians, he said, actually being in jail allowed the gospel to go out even further. He, he said that, that all, the whole palace guard and everyone else there, the people that would have never heard the gospel, had, had heard it. He said that his brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Why? Because they saw what God was doing in and through Paul. So while praying for open doors, Paul realized that his circumstances opened different doors. And so sometimes in our lives, when a door is closed or when life is hard, our our focus is simply on that thing. We need this situation to change. But Paul was praying, hey, this is my situation. In the midst of that, would you pray that God opens doors in the midst of the situation, that God would provide a way for me to share the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ? To quote one pastor, he said this, we need to stop praying, how can I get out of this? Instead pray, Lord, what can I get out of this? Stop asking why God, instead ask what God or who God. God, what do you want to do in me through this? What do you want to do through me in the midst of this? Who do you want me to minister through right now because of what I'm going through? Or maybe even in the future after I've gone through it and seen you work in it. It's a change of perspective to an eternal focus. I mean, throughout Paul's letters, he, he knows the way to change that perspective is through prayers. He asked for prayers from the Colossians, from the Philippians, from the Romans, from the Ephesians, from the Thessalonians. And even if, if he wrote the letter to Hebrews, which was likely from them as well. He was praying and asking others to pray for an open door of ministry and that he would proclaim this truth clearly as he should. To the Christians in Ephesus, he wrote, Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I declare it fearlessly as I should. He says, Pray that God gives me the words to say. Pray God gives me the opportunities to say them. And then pray God eases my fear. That's something we can all We all know we should proclaim the truth, but often, like Paul, we're afraid. But what do we do with that fear? We ask others to pray that we will be fearless. We've been encouraging you to have a one, one person that you pray for every day, that you invest in every week, and that you invite to the next right thing. We encourage you two things. One, make this a priority, to be praying daily for someone that doesn't know Jesus. One simple way to do this is what I encourage you to do. Find out when their birthday is and set your alarm for that time and pray for them every day at that time. So like if their birthday is May 4th, which is Sandy's birthday, she's not my one, but uh, set your alarm for for 5.04 p.m. and every day at 5.04, pray for that person. I have my alarm set and every day when that goes off, I, I pray for my one. But another thing I want to encourage you is not just to be the only one praying for your one, and this is where D groups can be awesome, but to have other people praying for you as you minister to your one. That God would open doors, that God would allow opportunities, that God would would provide a way for you to share this wonderful truth that has changed your life. So ask others to pray for you and to pray that God would open doors. So one way to set our hearts and minds on things above is to give 
God's sovereignty over lives through our devotion to prayer. Paul now gives a second way. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. This could literally be translated in the way you walk. In other words, walk, live, love, talk like Jesus. Be Jesus to other people. He says our conversation should be full of grace. Grace is undeserved merit. What that means is that our conversation should be full of love and truth, even if others are rude and inconsiderate. Even with that coworker that drives you nuts, that family member that's hard to deal with, the neighbor that's already that always is rude, let your conversations be full of grace. And then he says, seasoned with salt. Uh, way back in the day, uh, I always think about this before I eat anything. There was this famous um, uh, businessman. I don't remember who it was. You, you might remember it, but he would always take the people he was interviewing out to dinner. And uh, if they put the salt on the food before tasting the food, he wouldn't hire them. And uh, the thought process was, you know, it might not need salt. You got to taste it first, see if it needs salt, and then put the. So now every time I, I'm, I'm ever in an interview while I'm eating, but I'm always like, okay, I got to taste it first so I don't get fired. Um, <laughs> But the, the point being is that, like, there are things that, that, that don't have any flavor, and they need a lot of salt. And there's sometimes when I cook stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, I didn't do a good job. I need to add a lot of salt with, with this or, or something else. But food that's seasoned tastes better. And he's saying, look, this is our, our conversations should be full of grace. They should be pleasant. They should be life-giving so that you know how to answer everyone. In other words, as we talk to people, we demonstrate wisdom, grace, love, and thoughtfulness. God's sovereignty should affect how we interact and how we talk with others. See, God says, look, be devoted to prayer. And as you walk with others, do so in a way that points them to Jesus. Live in such a way that they see who Jesus is. Now, I said this is how... Paul wraps up his letter, but he does have some final greetings, and I'm not going to read through all the names and all those different things at the end of the chapter, but I just want to point out a few things. One, he sends to the church two people, Tychicus, his fellow servant, uh, he sends him to be an encouragement, and Onesimus, who is actually a runaway slave, and he calls Onesimus a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. There's that equality in Christ, and if you want to read more about Onesimus, read the letter of Philemon. Um, he sends his greetings from his co-workers and encourages them to read the letters, uh, sent, pass the letters on to Laodicea and to read the letters that were in Laodicea. And he ends with this, remember my chains, grace be with you. I think the remember my chains is to remind them, please pray for me and grace be with you. So how do we apply this whole book and then how do we bring in this final little four verses that Paul wraps up his book in? First, God is sovereign over all things. We need to start here. If God is the one who created everything out of nothing, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one from earlier in Colossians that said he's the creator of all things, he sustains all things with his mighty right hand, if he is truly sovereign over all, then he requires our worship he's the one that provides salvation and hope and so our lives should be oriented around worshiping our great sovereign god second god calls us to surrender 
control of our lives to Him. Because He is sovereign and great, our response should be to surrender our lives. To do what Jesus says, to daily take up our cross and follow me. Now, when I was a kid, this was back before uh, all the seatbelt things. I can't even imagine driving my kids anywhere without a seatbelt on. My brother uh, had a Ford F-150, a black Ford F-150. It wasn't as nice as the picture that's going to pop up there. Um, but what he would do is he would have a sit in the back, and he'd, only in the neighborhoods, and I don't know if my parents knew about this, but we'd sit in the back bed of the truck, and he'd flip around the, the, you know, the corners, and we'd tumble around in the back. It was really fun. We never fell out or died, which is good. Um, but that was something. And the other thing he did is he wanted, he wanted, he was 17 years older than me. He wanted to teach me, you know, how to drive. And so one of the things he'd do sometimes is I'd sit on his lap and, uh, and I get to, you know, hold the wheel. I guess it's this way. And, uh, but I, cu- I couldn't reach the pedals because I was just a little kid, you know, but I felt like I was in control, right? I felt like I knew what I was doing. Uh, and then one time actually there was a, there was a, like a, a trash can that had fallen over and I almost ran into it and he had to, you know, crank it to the left and, and, and get at me. But I really thought, man, this is awesome. I'm in control. But then my brother said, you know, uh, nobody knows how to drive a stick shift nowadays, so I want to teach you how to drive a stick shift. So he had me sit in the passenger seat, and this is, this is the best I could get for a stick shift. It's just the knob. But um, So he had me sit in the passenger seat, and he had me hold it, and then when it came time to shift, he'd press the clutch, and he'd say, Phil, shift into second. And so I'd, I'd shift into second, and I'd keep my hand there, and he'd wait until it was time to shift into third, and he'd go, Phil, shift into third and into fourth, and, and so on. He didn't let me shift it when we were in the expressway, so I never got into fifth or anything like that. But, um, but it was this practice to, to get to know how, how, to, how to stick shift. And, and he was guiding me and, and, and telling me what to do. Uh, but I say that because in, in most of our lives, we, we really want to sit in the driver's seat. We want to feel like we're in control. And when there's something difficult on the road, what we want to do is avoid the difficulty. We often find ourselves trying to grab onto the steering wheel and avoid any hardship in our life when in reality we can't, we can't reach the pedals and God is sovereign over all things and sometimes God wants us to go down a path that, that might be difficult because he's going to teach us something through it. And really I think the Christian life is, is more about sitting in the passenger seat and knowing that God's Word gives us everything we need to live a life of godliness and studying God's Word and going, okay, now you know what I need to do? I need to obey these commands. I'm going to shift into second. And now I need to shift into third. And now I need to shift into fourth. And allowing God to, to guide our lives and understanding He still calls us to be obedient and to follow Him, but that He's sovereign over all things. Too often in our lives, we want to have complete control and we want our lives to be about what I want. I don't want to go through difficulties. I don't want to go through hardships. I know what's best for me, God. Sometimes God knows what's best for us when we don't. And so how do we surrender control of our lives to the sovereign God? Well, Paul here said one of the best ways to surrender our lives to Jesus is to live a life of prayer, of watchfulness, of thankfulness. We prayed the Lord's Prayer and we said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, recognizing God's sovereignty, that he is ruling in heaven, that he's sovereign over all things, that he sustains all things. So we begin our prayer with worship and then says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you take the wheel of my life? And I came up with this illustration way before Carrie Underwood's song, just for the record. But God, would you guide me? 
I want my life to honor you. I want to be an ambassador of your kingdom. I want other people to know who you are through how I live. Give us today our daily bread. God, would you provide for my needs, provide for the things that I need, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. I love the prayer in Psalm 119. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. It's this prayer, God, I know I'm a sinner. Would you make me aware of the areas where I've been selfish, aware of the areas where I've fallen short, or the way, where of the areas where I've rebelled against you. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Help me to serve you and to follow you and to obey you today. Because God is sovereign over all things. And he calls us to surrender control of our lives. One of the best ways to surrender our lives to Jesus is a life of prayer. And lastly, God's sovereignty should change our purpose. Paul said, Lord, I pray that you would open doors. I proclaim that we will I pray that we will proclaim the gospel clearly. I pray that our life and our conversations are a testimony of God's grace. I pray that everything we do will cause others to look at Jesus. Last week I, I talked about how if our marriage is is a picture of Christ in the church, if we Husbands, if we love our wives sacrificially in the same way that Christ loved the church. And, and wives, if you respect your husbands and if this is a beautiful picture, it, it, it tells a, a world outside that, that, that marriage is a great thing. And they go, why is your marriage different? Well, Christ is the center. But it's the same with parenting. It's the same with our relationships with our coworkers, the relationships with our family members. If we live a life worthy of the gospel, seasoned with salt, full of grace... That changes the purpose of our marriage. It changes the purpose of our parenting. It changes the purpose of our lives. So when we go to work, we're working for Christ. When we interact with our neighbors, we're, we're portraying Christ. See, God's sovereignty should change our purpose, our prayer life, our attitudes, and our actions. But that key word there is should. See, maybe today you're still holding on. Have you ever uh, been driving in the in the snow? And and last night, actually, Sandy's not here today because she was going to drive back from Detroit last night, and uh, there was a 50 car pile up on I-96, and so I said, "Don't come, please." Not because I don't like her. I, I like when she comes, but I don't want her to die because I don't know how to do bills. Um, but. You ever been in a really bad ice storm and you're just white knuckling it? You know, you're holding on and it's just really bad, really scary. One, one, one time I was driving down the road and we stopped because they shut the highway down. And while stopped, I was sliding sideways. I wasn't moving. That's how icy it was. I remember after driving like that, I was so scared. I'm just driving my, you know, you're gripping on the wheel really tight. I think some of you might right now might be driving through life just holding on. And you're scared of what's coming, and you're worried, and you're just trying to hold on. I encourage you, God is sovereign. Change seats. Move over. Say, God, I I trust you. I I don't know what you're going to do through this. I don't know how you're going to work all things together for my good. I don't know how you're going to use this situation in my life. I can't see it. But I trust that you're sovereign. 
And because I trust that you're sovereign, I believe that following you and worshiping you is better than anything the world offers. And I believe you have a purpose. And I believe that you're good and you do good. And when you change that perspective, it changes everything. So as we've been reading this book, my prayer for you is that as you see the wonder and grace, the the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he offers, that you learn to trust him. Know that he's good and change your life and follow him. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for these good reminders. Lord, I know so often I live my life in a way that I just want to avoid obstacles. Like everyone here, I enjoy comfort. I enjoy times where there's not difficulty. And But Lord, as I look back on my life, it's often in those difficult moments that you've taught me the most things. It's often in those difficult moments that you've worked through me the most. And in the midst of it, I just want it to end so bad. But oftentimes I see after it, you open new doors for ministry. Just meeting this week with someone who had gone through something hard and seeing how God used it and their excitement to minister to others that were going through the same thing shows me how your grace and mercy works in the midst of difficulties. Lord, you're so good. And yet it's so easy for us to just want to be in control of everything. Lord, help us to give up control, to trust you, to know that you are good and you have a purpose in our pain. Help us to live for you and to be seasoned with salt, full of grace, so that other people know who you are through our interactions. In your name we pray. Amen.